There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday at 10 a.m. ET to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Mayan Ziv. Mayan is an activist, a photographer, and an entrepreneur. From a young age, Mayan challenged norms and worked within her community to increase awareness of disability issues and approve accessibility. Living with muscular dystrophy, Mayan is a passionate and relentless advocate for creating a more accessible world. In 2015, she launched Access Now as a global movement and a service, building community to map and identify accessible locations around the world. As founder and CEO of Access Now, Mayan has created a powerful shift in thinking about accessibility, and that involves technologies, infrastructure, public policy, and media and communications. Mayan is a recognized industry expert in accessibility and inclusion. She received the 2020 Governor General's Innovation Award and the prestigious Novartis Innovation Prize, and she ranked among Canada's top 40 under 40 recipients for 2021. Mayan, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. Thanks so much, Rick. It's great to be here. Mayan, I first met you years ago when you joined the Next 36, which is an incredible accelerator program that takes brilliant young people and tries to turn them into high impact entrepreneurs. Have you made a lot of impact yet? <laughs> um, I, I'd like to say yes. Uh, I think time will tell how long standing the impact is, especially because, you know, I'm, I'm focused on an industry uh, that really requires tremendous culture shift. And so you know, I think I'm constantly looking forward and thinking about, you know, what what does that look like a few years down the line? What does that look like for an entire next generation? And are the moves we're making now, are they actually creating that impact as we're building it? So I see some changes from when I first started to where we are now. Uh, and I'd like to say, yeah, we have something to do with that. I, I think that's absolutely true. I've, I've been able to follow you along. You're one of the few next 36 pr people who are essentially in the same business that you that, that you started in that program, because a lot of them have failed forward and gone on to, uh, to, to other things. Um, and you and I, I should give full disclosure, you and I uh, both went on a, a visit to Israel a few years ago, uh, where we learned about the uh innovation ecosystem in Israel. So we've talked a few times. I've always been impressed by your courage because you, you, you have a wheelchair. It's the most high-tech Professor X type thing I've ever seen. Um, it, 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 it's a, a struggle, I think, at times for you to get out and, and be active in the world and to go out and make an impression and, and meet important people and try and make things happen. And you have been able to do it. 
And I just have to know, where does this indomitable will come from? <laughs> because it seems to me what that that's what powers you. <laughs> well, um, that's really cool to hear you describe me like that. And I also feel like you you can say it with somewhat certainty because you've just you know, you've seen me navigate spaces, you've seen me on stages. So uh, thanks, Rick. That's really kind. Um, you know, I, I, I want to say it's a mix of both nature and nurture. I think I was born as a very headstrong individual. I kind of had this um, really uh, strong sense of confidence and self. You know, I was six years old, and I was putting on plays for people. And I loved being the center of attention as a little girl. Um, and, you know, that had nothing to do with my disability. I just, I don't, I just was like that. Uh, and I think what I learned, you know, from being surrounded by, you know, a family who just never told me I couldn't, they constantly looked at ways to remove barriers for me as a little girl. You know, I remember I, I would tell my parents that I wanted to be a dancer. So we would, you know, make the costumes and, have the performances and I was one and they never said well you can't do that and I think as a little person kind of growing up in the world and making my own ideas about what what the world was going to mean for me it really helped kind of shape that sense of of possibility and can do and then you know what that translates into is I don't look at barriers as as indefinite no's I look at them as opportunities because, you know, obviously this is going to be on a good day that I can do this. Not every day is that way. But in general, the, the sense of resilience um, helps me continue to carve out new space because I know it's possible. And, and it helps me kind of, I think, continuously refine my, my ability to be a good entrepreneur. So every time I, you know, show up and I can't do something or there's an event that's not accessible or, you know, I can't meet with that very influential person because he's just not physically accessible to me. I constantly am thinking, you know, what are five other ways I can still get the result I want to achieve? A meeting, a, you know, a, a, an in-person event, uh, funding, whatever. And that's, the game like that's what it takes to be an entrepreneur is like okay you couldn't do the first thing you you thought of how else are you going to still get the result you want so I think it's just that it's just my my sheer desire to win <laughs> and then continue <laughs> to do it every day that's fantastic uh, the there's so much to unpack in that statement the just the the idea of obstacles as as opportunities, um, and just, just just having the the resilience to keep at it, and when it something doesn't work, you have five other ways of doing things. So I, I love it. I mean, you've just uh, uh, described the whole entrepreneurship experience, uh, which is very exciting. Describe for me access now, because uh, there's there maybe a, a number of of listeners who aren't familiar with with with, with what the company does. Yeah. So Access Now actually very much uh, was a, a personal response to one more thing that I uh, was experiencing as a barrier in my world. You know, I have used a wheelchair to navigate uh, the world around me since a very little age and I've constantly come up against barriers in the built environment. So I, you know, even I... And a barrier can be like an inch high, right? It, it could be anything. It could be a step at an entrance. It could be a broken elevator. It could even be just the lack of understanding of what's required to include a person with a disability in an experience. So, and that's a broad statement. So, and we're happy to talk about, you know, other ways in which accessibility manifests. But for me, one of the simplest forms was, could I get through the front door? Could I show up? Could I be at the space that I wanted to, you know, have a birthday party at or, grab a coffee or could I travel to a hotel and actually stay at the place that I booked as opposed to, you know, seeing five steps at the entrance, which has happened to me countless times. And so access now was really just the, 
the concept of let's provide people with information about how accessible the world is. And that's really how it started. So, you know, it grew from there. And now we are a mobile and web platform sharing information about all kinds of accessibility around the world. We've shared information on restaurants and, and stores and parks and trails and, you know, all different types of places in over 35 countries to date. And there are, there are so many different types of disabilities, obviously. Um, you, you, yours in particular is, 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 I guess, mobility, but does Access Now also take into account um, other senses, the, the, the blind, the partially deaf, the so many different types of uh, differences? Yeah. Uh, so again, I'll kind of pull through this thread on, on where we came from, where we are. Uh, you know, when I started building my company, I was focused on solving a problem that affected me. That's what drove me to build Access Now. And initially, my view of accessibility was limited to my own personal understanding, which makes sense. You know, and I'd say is the same for the majority of people on the planet. You know, accessibility is only touching people when they need to know about it or when it affects them personally. And what I learned in kind of expanding and connecting with people and, you know, the first when we launched, we had people with all different types of experiences reaching out and saying, you know, hey, if you could add, you know, this this filter, then I could share information about table heights. Uh, or if you could add this filter, I would know if I could show up with my guide dog and and be accepted as a customer into a, into a building. And so there are so many different ways in which accessibility impacts people, and it can be deeply personal. Uh, and so rather than saying, you know, you're this person, you have these needs, what we decided to do was just develop a very pan-disability, uh, broadly diverse and inclusive lens to access. And, 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 and we increasingly add features just based on what community tells us. Uh, and that also includes, you know, non-disabled people. So we've heard tremendous amounts of feedback from young parents with strollers who didn't really think about accessibility. And then all of a sudden, now they're trying to navigate a subway system where half of the elevators don't even exist. So accessibility shows up for people all throughout their lives. They just aren't fully aware of that. So that's part of the cultural shift we're building is to help people understand that accessibility benefits every person and that it might be today for you. It might be in the future, but at some point in your life, accessibility will help you live your life with more ease. And so it's for people with and without disabilities. And, and, you know, the idea is the more we share and the more types of insight we can share, the more supportive, um, the platform is for people of you know various different perspectives. Yep, and that's an incredible, incredibly powerful statement that it it does affect everyone. If not now, then at some point. And uh, I totally get it. Without my glasses, I would run in, into traffic in no time. So <laughs> uh, I I, I, under, I think I understand. Yeah. That. Tell me what the what the business model is for Access Now. How do you make money? So originally we didn't really have one, and I didn't really know what Access Now would shape up to be. All I wanted to do was address a problem, and I knew that there was value in doing that. I, I was very certain that Access Now should not be a charity or a not-for-profit because I felt like if my mission was to shift people's cultural understanding of accessibility as a concept, we also need to tie it towards economic value. Uh, and so what we've learned over the course of building network and community, and originally just being obsessed with the problem, is that business owners also struggle to understand how accessible their companies are, and they struggle to connect with people who would benefit from that information. And so we work directly with businesses and partners uh, to assess their spaces and provide a, a verified level of 
uh, concrete information about the accessibility of their spaces in order for people who benefit from that knowledge to actually engage directly with those companies. So are you able to tell business owners that, hey, if we can uh, promote the fact that you're accessible in this way, in this way to these diverse uh, communities, then we can get you more business? Is that essentially the, the pitch? Yeah, that's part of the pitch. Uh, so, you know, there, there are a few reasons why uh, accessibility is important and timely to talk about. One, you know, there's an economic incentive to creating an accessible experience product or service. So when you invest in an accessible, let's say, storefront or an accessible website, you open your, your doors, both physically and digitally, to you know, 1.2 billion people who currently have a disability and require access to engage. And when we talk about you know, what does that mean in terms of, of, of financial gain, you know, people are often really surprised to learn that there are upwards of $13 trillion a year in disposable income that has to be um, driven towards accessible products and services. That's kind of the, the number that the disability market represents. And so, you know, I remember having these really weird backwards conversations with business owners in early days where I'd say, you know, it's you should make your restaurants accessible because then I can come here and have dinner with my family or with my friends. And they'd say, you know, we'd love to, but we don't have customers who, um, who require access. So we never invested in it, which is like, you kind of have to build it in order for us to come. So that's the first reason. Um, the, the second really important reason is that this is actually the law. And sometimes people know it, sometimes they don't, but we actually have laws around the world. There are over a hundred different countries that have introduced some form of accessibility law or disability policy um, that often businesses actually have to comply to. So in, in many cases, you know, there's actually a legal obligation to invest in access. And the third reason, which is kind of, you know, I'd say all of these are good reasons that it really, you know, it's up to you to decide which one resonates with you the most, or hopefully they all do, is this kind of social or humanitarian argument, which is the bottom line is accessibility is a human right. And it is actually discrimination to not include people with disabilities that represent one in five of our population in what we build and how we live, work, learn, and play. And so when you don't invest in access, you are actually, even if unintentionally, discriminating against uh, a very large population. So, you know, you can hear that the passion in my voice uh, but this is something that I've, I've, I've lived in my whole life. And based on, you know, the tone of the day or who I'm engaging with, I could give you a million reasons why accessibility is important. And I don't really have any good reasons why it isn't. And does the work you do, does that help at all with the compliance uh, obligation that, that you mentioned? A little bit. Uh, you know, I'd say we're really focused on usability and customer experience. I think some of the, the danger about talking about accessibility from a compliance perspective is that people often see that as the goal, whereas compliance really should be the starting point. So, you know, checking things off on a, on a, on a list of to-dos just to make sure you did it so you could get it out of the way is not how we want people to understand the, the innovation and the creativity and the opportunities that come from really understanding accessibility uh, as a driver of your business. So we really look at, you know, engaging uh, people with lived experience to contribute to that conversation, engaging business owners to understand what they can learn and what they yet don't know about access. And together, you know, we create this kind of ecosystem where there's a lot more transparency and there's a lot more uh, ability to grow from that and invest in much more um, integrated and systemic understandings of accessibility and inclusion. 
We've been talking about opening um, businesses and other locations to people as sort of visitors or customers. Um, I'm wondering if you also get involved with uh, businesses as employers. I think there's a lot of people with various types of disabilities who have a lot to give as employees, but a lot of uh, workplaces aren't physically or organizationally arranged to actually work with them. So I think a lot of people are going unemployed or underemployed because of this mismatch. And I'm wondering if Access Now gets into this to help make sure that, uh, that, that people with disabilities can find the employment they're looking for. Yeah, I, I think that the way that you just described it as a mismatch is, is a really uh, good way to look at it. Because, you know, if we look kind of historically speaking, the, the stigma or the attitudinal barriers uh, that people with disabilities face, you know, towards engaging in their communities, but also towards, you know, gaining meaningful employment um, has, has really disproportionately kind of affected how businesses can tap into, you know, this whole concept of creativity and innovation and resilience that people with disabilities are often just inherently bringing to their work. Um, and so it is a mismatch because if you don't create access, you don't, you don't, you're not able to retain or even um, attract talent that, you know, you're missing out uh, on, on bringing into your company. And so I'd say, you know, to answer your question, um, we're really careful about like not duplicating efforts that we've recognized that others, you know, are focused on. So accessibility in the built environment for us is kind of hundred percent priority and a massive problem because our mission is global. But in engaging with companies, what we have recognized is there is often this, this necessary first step around education uh, and awareness building and even to just help organizations uh, kind of open their minds to what they're missing, to recognizing the opportunities they have, you know, internally to create uh, kind of more accessible opportunities for people. So, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, public speaking engagements. We also have an entire program focused on uh, kind of, it's called a map mission where basically people download Access Now app, they go out into the community and they start rating places based on how accessible they are. Originally, this was like a growth hacking effort that we put in place to kind of land communities across Canada originally. But what we learned was that people loved doing this. They loved having opportunities to learn hands-on about accessibility in their environments. Because often people who were joining were not um, what I call the converted. They weren't people who already knew about access. They were people who were joining on their lunch break you know, from, from a large organization and now had a chance to go across the street where they normally you know, grab lunch and recognize that now they were prompted to ask questions about accessibility and recognize that, you know, their colleague wasn't able to join them. This is the reason why there are three steps at the entrance or whatever the reason. So, you know, what we've realized is that map missions not only generate impact on the platform, but they also create these ripple effects of education mm -hmm. and awareness building. And I think that that is definitely something that we continue to do. I'm sure you figured this out already, but I just figured it out now. So accessibility is really not a state. It's a journey. And the more time you spend with it, obviously, the more the more opportunities you see to become more accessible, to become more accessible to more different types of, of, of people and differences and more aware of the need for others to get involved in it as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Uh, that, that's beautiful. Tell me what the state of the art is at, at Access Now. Can you tell me anything about the the size of the company, the number of employees, the areas where you operate? Yeah. Uh, so when Access Now began, it was me on my own convincing people to lend their time, their expertise, resources, very bootstrapped, very hustle and grind 
Uh, and it was that way for the first few years. Uh, and now we've really transformed. I think we're still very much a hustle and grind company, but uh, you know, now we're a team of 15 uh, totally remotely uh, and many of us living internationally. COVID really changed how we grew as a company. Uh, we focus on, you know, providing insight on accessible places, but increasingly so we're engaging with some really meaningful partnerships to help create that capacity. So, you know, from um, employing people, um, you know, on the spectrum to help us with image data labeling, uh, it's kind of a new, uh, explore, exploratory department, uh, just in terms of, you know, um, practicing what we preach and ensuring that our team is diverse, uh, as well as engaging with companies and, and partners that are looking specifically at accessibility of all site, uh, sites. So, you know, we, we have branched out beyond just physical kind of bricks and mortar to also including trails uh, and parks and outdoor spaces as well as part of the platform. Wow. You mentioned uh, image data labeling, so that that's where where there's a, a photo on on a website or whatever that there, there's a description of it. Is that what that was? What that oh is? yeah, I guess I just like talk about things and I, I don't fill in all the gaps. Uh, so no, 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 it's it's, it's fine. <laughs> I, I'm just asking for myself. Sure, actually. yeah. <laughs> so so basically, um, access now uh, there are. Um, a variety of different ways in which we kind of create data about accessible places. One, you know, community contributions and reviews, that's like the grassroots, that's the heart and soul, that's where Access Now started. And it's also the feedback mechanism. So people with disabilities and others sharing information on the platform and providing their own personal lived experience. So that's one way in which we assess places. But another way is, uh, in, is actually using AI. And so the image labeling and, and kind of tagging of data is really about how we train our AI to understand what is or what isn't accessible in an image, let's say. Uh, we do it from, with, with text results as well. Um, but there are a variety of ways in which we're increasingly teaching our own uh, technology about how to, how to basically see the world through an accessible lens. Uh, and it's an interesting research initiative because usually when people talk about AI, they talk about you know, who's missing and, and what kind of marginalized voices are not included in the AI and like what kind of bias that creates. And we actually took that as an opportunity once again to say, let's build our AI based on who's missing. <laughs> Let's build our AI based on all of the experiences of people with disabilities that are not often included in those technologies. And can we teach our AI to be, you know, looking at the world through that perspective? All right. Now my head is absolutely <laughs> spinning. Um, so, so can you tell me a little bit more about how AI uh, helps you, you know, map the world and, and uh, like maybe you can give me an example of what this actually means um, in terms of AI being able to, you know, see patterns and identify things. Yeah. Uh, so basically what we've done is we've been able to kind of take raw data, whether it be an image of a place or a description of a place um, or even some of the sensor data that's in your phone and translate that into accessibility values. So if I look at an image as a, just a person who's looking at pictures on Google Street View, let's say, I can sometimes determine if there's a step at an entrance or not. But an AI uh, can do that as well. So as long as we're teaching, you know, so images are kind of the most concrete one where we can start to learn about what are some of the clues in the environment that we can help kind of um, filter through our, our system to determine whether it would be accessible or not. And if we can do that and combine that with, you know, reviews from users, which confirm or deny certain things that we have kind of identified, awesome. And if we can do that by following, you know, one of our, our mappers or ambassadors through a trail, 
and determine, you know, that they went up a super steep hill or up a set of stairs, we can also use that to kind of triple check whether the data is, is false or not. So there's a variety of ways in which we kind of use different data sources to create this kind of mosaic of an understanding about how uh, holistically accessible a space might be. And this really helps us kind of unlock scale. And that was, you know, the bottom line was, I don't want to do something that's regionally important or locally impactful. I wanted to build a company that could be global. And so from day one, I built it saying, this is going to be available everywhere. And that's how we reached community. And now we're doing that by also scaling our technology. I was I was actually going to say the same thing that since I first known you 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 had this global vision, um, and it seemed that you know it would be the 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 community doing work voluntarily that that would build it, but now it sounds like AI has come along to the point where it's accessible enough that um, that it can do a lot of this job for you, do the heavy lifting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a it's a. It's an ongoing um, technology that evolves with the contributions of people who are reviewing on the platform. So the more that people share, the more that we learn, and that, that helps teach our technology. You know, some of the things we might not have recognized in the past, and as you kind of alluded to earlier, accessibility is this kind of fluid, evolving thing. It's not like a static space that you, you got to get to this compliance destination and you're done. You know, we always learn about new experiences and what is important to someone that we haven't yet spoken to that consists of how they understand a space to be accessible. And so it is a very broad term, um, but it also has some um, real meaning to people when they're looking at the world through their perspective. So increasingly, we're just learning, you know, what are, what are the limits of that? Right, right, and you're a, a 15 person company. Is, is the economics of AI now uh, so favorable that that you know you can have your own technology and build this out over time? Um, you know, definitely AI is a lot more accessible than it was. You know, even few years ago I even remember when we were in the next 36 it was like this new thing I remember how it was witchcraft it was super buzzwordy I remember that but it was only for big corporations yeah there's no question of of smaller firms being able to create their own yeah uh algorithms their own databases and get their own results right you know you, you you might as well buy a 50-story building. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but story buildings I, haven't come down in price, but AI has. Sure. Yeah, definitely it's it's a lot more accessible that way. Um, but I will say also like my team is brilliant. <laughs> so I wouldn't say this is so accessible that you could go into, you know, any shop and, and build it yourself. I'd say it the people who are working on what we're working on within our company are constantly surprise and delight me with how just whip smart uh, they are about this work. Like it's, it's amazing. I have a killer team. It's the bottom line. So yeah. <laughs> fabulous. Fabulous. For the entrepreneurs listening who may have premises in their own business, whether it's a, a uh, retail establishment or an office or a factory or workshop or whatever. Um, can you tell me sort of how they can get started on their own uh, accessibility journey? What what should they be thinking of and doing to make sure that they are be uh, representing the best part of themselves to the such a variety of of, of, of different people and experiences yeah and i think that's where like the the accessibility of digital really comes in so i'd say you know the first thing to know is just that you have to be curious and you have to ask questions and you have to be open enough beyond just your your immediate circle of understanding 
And if you want to create products that are successful and flexible and usable to the, the broadest range of people, accessibility is just built into that and not an afterthought, not I'll build my app or I'll build my store and later I'll figure out how to address, you know, the needs of specific groups. Because you end up having this like mismatch, this, you know, duct tape version of, of a really seamless product. And so when you think about, you know, if you're starting out and building something new, you know, you should be asking questions about how do I reach the broadest population? How do I, you know, support people and feedback, even messaging that, you know, is diverse and inclusive in nature? Uh, it's just the world we live in. And recognizing that accessibility is like one of those really integral components to getting that right is, I think, the, the best uh, place to start. And then it's just a question of, of research and engaging. And, you know, if you don't know people with disabilities in your life, like how can you engage communities that you're not familiar with to learn what you don't yet know? And, and I think once you start that exploration, it's really hard uh, to kind of ignore it or pre pretend you don't know. It's like the process of becoming enlightened. <laughs> once you know, uh, it's just so obvious. It just so it becomes so, you know, uh, understood that this is how you build the right products and the right services and the right experiences for people. Right. I mean, I think that in the past, 20, 30, 40 years, we have seen an increasing recognition of the need to, to make places more accessible, just, just physically and, and culturally as well, of course. But it starts with the physical. For me, it started with when they came into my neighborhood and, and they reduced the size of the curbs uh, so that, you know, strollers and, and, and people had trouble walking up a step. Uh, could still walk several blocks and, and go wherever they wanted. Uh, it was freedom for a lot of people. We rode our bikes on the sidewalk uh, to, in order not to be killed by cars. Um, so there's been awareness of the need for increasing accessibility in society for a long time. But I'm wondering from your point of view, is that still something that is growing and that has strong social support because we've seen that uh, you know some of the progress we've made as a society in some social areas uh, doesn't always proceed linearly or continuously it doesn't always grow sometimes it, it it pulls back a little bit and and people have to fight a little bit harder to to get things going again in the right direction so what is your experience in the time you've been doing this work in terms of accessibility, is this a, a, a wonderful on-ramp to the future that's proceeding without a hiccup? Or do we have to get a lot smarter and sharper and more empathetic about it? Yeah, I think both. <laughs> it's not <laughs> It's not uh, this beautiful, seamless, upwards trajectory of progress. It does, you know, it always, there. it's just, a, it's, a, it's a complex issue. When we're talking about systemic unconscious bias, you know, that led to a very, very difficult to swallow discrimination for a long, long period of time. And people don't even know that, you know, like people with disabilities have been, you know, the largest minority group in the world. And yet, if we look at the history you know, even prior, just prior to my time, you know, my community was institutionalized and, and segregated from mainstream and, and worse, you know, I won't even go into the darkness that we come from. So recognizing, you know, that that progress, that change takes a lot of time and unlearning. Uh, it's just part of the nature of advocacy, you know, and and we're seeing that now with many different groups that are, are, are claiming their space and using often technology or social media to vocalize concerns that people have not been aware of, you know? And once you're aware, like how, how, for how long can you ignore, you know, it becomes 
it, it, it's impossible to, to just continue to reinforce status quo. Uh, and so I think, you know, on a very deep level, accessibility is, is part of that conversation because it also doesn't discriminate against who, who benefits. So what you mentioned, uh, curb cut, there is an entire philosophy called the curb cut effect, which is exactly that. The curb cut was inspired by a person using a motorized wheelchair who could not get off the sidewalk. And, and cutting the curb out empowered many more people to enjoy sidewalks. And so recognizing this inspiration led from the disabled lens and tying it directly to inclusive design, which benefits all people on the planet, is the missing link that we work hard to kind of create for people uh, with the work that we do. And a lot of it just comes down to transparency uh, and metrics and real data. And that's really what at Access Now has helped us progress is it's not enough to say we're making progress. It's not enough to say we're going to make, you know, our city the most accessible or we're on our way. You know, I have been a person who's needed accessibility in my life. And one of the motivating factors for me to build access now is I was really, really tired of hearing those statements because I had no idea what they meant. I could still not get to the place I wanted to go. I still didn't know if I had access. And, and you know, so I wanted real data points around where we're at, how accessible is our city, let's say, how many restaurants have accessible washrooms, how many public buildings, you know, are accessible to people, uh, who have guide dogs or who are uh, sensitive to scent, you know, whatever. The point is with that data, we can now have more informed conversations about how to move that yardstick forward. So your question about progress, I think we're really in a history making time where digital allows us to accelerate in a way that we haven't been able to before. And we are seeing those transformations happening. Wow. <laughs> You're so articulate on all this stuff. I feel tongue-tied. It's, it's, it's amazing. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing in society to make it more inclusive and accessible, what would you do? I would, um, I would remove people's fear of the unknown. <laughs> I'd say that one of the biggest barriers uh, that I have faced in my personal kind of journey as a person with a disability and also building a company is that people are really afraid to, to edge into areas that they're not comfortable with. I don't want to offend. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing, so I'll do nothing. And I think that if we could remove that fear and replace it with humility and willing willingness to learn uh we could create a lot more progress a lot faster can you give me an example of that what what does that look like so uh i think you know like so a really clear example uh that is maybe related is that i can't tell you how many countless times i've been out somewhere and a little kid you know is curious about my wheelchair and wants to ask me or their parent a question about why, what is it? What's going on here? Basically, it's the bottom line. And I've had kids, you know, come right up to me and say, why are you in that thing? Uh, or what's wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, kids are wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, there's actually nothing wrong with that curiosity. But what happens is there's a moment of teaching there where a parent has two options embrace that and teach them how do you address someone, you know, um, in a welcoming and, and polite manner, or literally shut it down and say, don't do that. That's not okay. Don't ask. We don't talk to that person. We don't ask them questions. We just completely um, just ignore the whole thing. And I've seen parents do both. I've seen parents grab their kids and pull them so like aggressively out of my way out of, I don't know, fear that I might run them over or that, 
that their kid is in the way and that it's a nuisance to me. Like, I, I can't even imagine really what goes through their mind other than the fact that they don't know how to handle the situation. And what that shows me is that that little kid now has this moment of learning that disability is not something we should talk about, not something we should be familiarizing ourselves with. It's, it's different, it's other, and it's not in our world. And that's the history of many generations of people teaching their kids that. So imagine if we said people who are different to us are, are also the same. They all have the same needs and same wants and same desires. And, and there's nothing wrong with just learning about people's experiences. That's how you get closer to inclusion. And that, by the way, is not you know, unique to disability. That could be based on skin color or religion or you know, sexual orientation. It doesn't really matter. It's, bottom line is we are all different. How can we learn how to respect and see each other's differences as strengths as opposed to you know, threats? Beautifully said. What does Access Now look like, look like three years from now? Ooh, in three years from now, I hope that we are that much closer to you know, creating insight about every single place on the planet, empowering people of all abilities to be more engaged and connected to their communities, literally by just answering questions, questions about access, in whatever way you want to see it on our platform. And that includes, you know, engaging with businesses, includes engaging with communities to continuously raise their voices, and also engaging with governments who can begin to recognize their responsibility on a leadership front to stimulate some of this work. I had this impression, and we're friends on Facebook, so I see when you win awards and speak at conferences and stuff when, when, you, when you post about it. I had the impression that you were already um, networked with government and decision makers. I think that uh, you know your the, the, the cause of inclusion and diversity is, is, is very popular among politicians. They like to be seen to be in favor of it. Um, I would have thought you had their ear and were already interacting with them in productive ways. I think that would be a fair statement to make. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It can, it can be better. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, I just think, you know, like uh, there are municipalities or, or, you know, even federally, like, yes, government has shown uh at times an increased involvement in in this space uh and and we do see progress happening but you know i find government to be very slow and so anything that i can do to support government's acceleration of even just what they need to know to make better decisions you know i think that's really the role that we play is to provide insight at, at all levels right are there any other other business ideas that you have, is, 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 or is this something you know you're committing to for the, the the long term? This is the long term for me. This is, you know, it's also it's deeply personal, of course, but you know, as we've grown, I well, have... why couldn't you get into sports betting or e-commerce? <laughs> or look... I could, <laughs> you know, I could. Listen. All those other things. You know, I yeah. think there's there's tons of things that. Prior to Access Now, I, I worked as a photographer and I was in media arts. Uh, I just feel this is my purpose. This is my calling. So I will uh, continue to advocate and and be, you know, as headstrong as I have been since I a little girl to make progress. And I won't rest until we see that day. I was hoping you'd like run for prime minister or something, but, <laughs> but, but this is good too. You know, you're not the too. first person to say that to me, which is alarming, uh, but we'll see. <laughs> it, it's not alarming. It's called talent. <laughs> Maybe. I just think that I think entrepreneurs have uh, a really incredible um, responsibility. Uh, and I think currently I can do a lot more as an entrepreneur uh, than I can, you know, running for office. It's funny. I've heard so many politicians say that, that 
when they got into politics and discovered how little power they had that they thought, <laughs> yeah, I had more power before I was a politician. And that and that's scary. So, yes, I think you're in the right place and, and, you're, and you're definitely doing the right thing. We've been talking with Mayen Ziv, the founder and CEO of Access Now, and she's a force to be reckoned with, as you can tell. Mayen, the last question we traditionally ask our guests is, what's the most actionable piece of advice you'd like to offer our entrepreneurial audience? Some tip or insight that they can put into their business immediately? I'd say that, you know, this whole time we've been talking about the benefits and the importance of accessibility. I'd say that, you know, if you're out there building something new or you're building something better from what you've already started, um, don't be afraid to show up imperfectly. You know, I think it requires a certain amount of humility and grace to recognize that we all have to unlearn things that we've been taught if we're going to reach this, you know, um, truly inclusive place that we want to get towards. So don't be afraid to, to make mistakes. As long as you can engage with people who are open to guiding you on that journey, and there are lots of people out there who do that, uh, you will you will find a way to honestly, just enjoy the process of creating more accessible and inclusive experiences for people. So I think that's what I would be, I would kind of leave people with is, you know, don't, don't be afraid to show up imperfectly. It's, it's, it is a journey. It's not a destination. Absolutely. Mayan, thank you so much. Uh, I will continue to keep tabs on you from afar as you move from strength to strength and win to win. And uh, I'm excited to see what you'll do next. Thanks, Rick. It's so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence. <laughs>